Hey, what's going on, everybody? Today, I had the pleasure of chatting with American country singer-songwriter NBC The Voice Season 22 contestant Jay Allen. In this newest episode, Jay joined me to talk about newest Christmas duet with Garth Brooks' daughter, Ali Colleen, working alongside his dad at Joe's Country Grill, what has meant to him being an advocate for the Alzheimer's Association, importance behind single blank stares, how he met his wife, Kylie Morgan, and more, as well as his experience on NBC's The Voice. And now with that being said, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jay. Hello, Jay. Hello, thanks for having me on today. I mean, it's it's great to be able to chat with you. Um, and we're going to talk all about The Voice and, and other things that... Um, that I know a lot of people uh, will ask you about, but I mean, I think the first thing that um, is sort of, I guess, on my mind is that like, when did you and I guess, what, like, how did you and Kylie meet for the first time, I guess? <laughs> it's a, you know, a, a funny story to us, actually. And it's just the way that God has worked in our lives where I, you know, I was actually coming to be completely honest and, you know, very, uh, transparent which i've learned is the best option always i was married previously and i was going through a divorce and it was a little sticky we were just young and we grew apart and um we we're going through that separation when i met kylie so um kylie uh, was was a signed songwriter at the time and uh, i had just got my first publishing deal at a little publishing company called mb2 entertainment in nashville and uh, they had an open house and they invited all of Music Row. And at the end of the day, Kylie's manager, who was invited to the open house, invited Kylie to join him. And uh, she said, that's not really my thing. Uh, thank you anyways. And he said, well, there's free red wine. And uh, she said, well, I'm in. So uh, as a joke, we, we say we, we met over free red wine. She said, I was walking down the steps in this house, uh, coming down from the studio and uh, she saw saw me, laid eyes on me, and thought to herself, that's going to be my husband. And uh, it came to fruition. She was right. Uh, we fell in love really, really quick and kind of came up through the ranks together in Nashville. And, you know, I've been more of a philanthropist the last, you know, five years. Well, I, I, you know, I've been supporting her and being her champion as, a, as an artist. And, uh, you know, now we get to do life and music together. You know, it's a pretty rare, beautiful thing for us, as hard as it is, because we'll, we're full time. So uh, another running joke is we high five in airports. We rarely get to see each other. So we've actually had some time together the last few days. And it's been pretty blessed. Very, very thankful for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I guess like I, I totally agree where like it's so weird that like even if you're touring as like a touring artist, like you don't get to see each other for for pretty much any time at all because they're, you're so wrapped up in performing for audiences around the world and performing for, you know, people that are meaningful in your lives and, and being able to, I guess, live that dream that you've always wanted to, to live out. And now I feel it's so interesting how this whole thing has now turned into a huge success for both of you, you know, from your experience on the voice to, um, Kylie being just on a road to success with her uh, obviously her newest release of her newest uh, album uh, making it up as I go if you haven't listened to it go check it out on all music platforms it's a great album um, the title uh, track making it up as I go as well um, I mean but before I get into all of that I want to talk about I guess you grew up in a midwest town um, in, in Iowa um, 
but I didn't know this, but like apparently, so y- your mom and um, your father uh, met each other for the first time in a restaurant called Joe's Country Grill, which Ooh. your dad was sort of the sole owner of that restaurant. Um, and your mom was sort of working as a waitress. Um, and But you spent much, much of your younger years in that place just working and, and trying to make an earning. But you also had like this whole experience of like this couple of Ron and Lisa who who owned a farm and you just sort of worked for them and you made an earning with them as well to just to make some little bit of pocket change and stuff like that. But I mean, what was that experience like to be able to, I guess, work alongside your dad in, in the restaurant, but also like the importance you found in sort of like making those opportunities worth it um, when you look back on it now? Yeah, you know, I always say, you know, we're all driving these vehicles, you know, through life and we're looking to the windshield. And, uh, I, you know, I always remind everyone it's really important to, you know, look through the rearview mirror every now and then be reminded of what, you know, you've been through to make you who you are. And a big part of, you know, what I've been through to make me who I am are, you know, very, very humble beginnings like a lot of us. Nothing was given to me. Um, I started working uh, at nine years old full time you know, helping uh, pay for bills even sometimes. Uh, my mother was the type of person who, you know, we had so little money and struggled so much because the restaurant business was not easy and ended up not working out for my dad, even though some good things came from it. Um, we got to a point where we we're so hard off. You know, we I lived in, a, in an area where, you know, all my best friends were kind of, you know, they were a lot more well off than me, let's say that. And, um, back then it was like Nike, everything you have to wear Nike on all, you know, everything you wear every day to school was Nike and we couldn't afford that. So the type of person my mother was, she would go out of her way to even sew Nike swooshes on my socks and on my hats and on my gloves and on my shirts and just so I would fit in, you know, so that's where I come from. You know, um, there was a couple that came in, first of all, yes, you are correct with all those things. I'm glad that you know that story Not a lot of people do, but. My dad started a restaurant when I was very, very young. He uh, actually, previous to that, um, he had hired uh, my mother uh, to be a waitress and her sister, my aunt. And uh, that's where they fell in love. Thus, I was created. Thus, I came up in that restaurant. And I remember this couple would come into the restaurant quite often. And uh, they eventually asked if they could take me to church with them. And so I started going to Sunday school every Sunday morning with them. They'd pick me up from my home. And, um, I remember one morning we were in the very front row and yeah, it was this big Baptist church, about 700 people. We were in the front pew and I was, you know, obnoxiously singing along and singing all the, singing all the hymns. And I remember Ron, the guy, he looked down at me and he said, oh, you can sing. I'm going to put you on stage in front of everyone next Sunday. And he did. He kept his word. And I was terrified saying that was the first time I sang in front of anyone So. 700 uh, people in a Baptist church, uh, all dressed up super nice on Sunday morning. And that was the first time I got a response from my singing. That's the first time I, whether they were obliging a little kid or actually it was good in my mind, it kind of solidified this thought of, well, dang, that, you know, I guess I can sing. And uh, because of Ron and Lila, I was spurred on to continue to be involved in, in the church. I actually ended up being a music director. Uh, for quite a few years, that was my my career. Ended up in Savannah, Georgia. I was a music director at a mega church there, and did that for a very long time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, 
nothing was handed to me. I've had to, you know, grind since I was a little kid, but I'm very thankful for that. You know, it, uh, it's, you know, spurred me on to work, you know, sometimes we get our backs put against the wall and that's when uh, we do the most damage in life and make things happen, you know? So when my mother got sick with Alzheimer's, that was my instinct to fight, you know, and that's uh, what I've done for several years now. And I kind of just raised my head, you know, last year and realized that we've, you know, done a lot of good, you know, now because we have helped raise, you know, over a hundred million bucks to fight against Alzheimer's and go towards research and shining light on caregivers. You know, we've had a very successful last year where now treatments have been approved and are available and we're starting to kind of pave the way to see hopefully a, a cure to this disease, which is the sixth leading cause of death in America, uh, hopefully within not just our lifetime, but within the next decade, I would presume so. A lot of good things have come from that very humble young childhood of mine, which I'm very grateful for. And they would always call that the humble beginnings of one's career of of being able to um, to have those experiences early on in in your life. Where I guess what you were saying at the beginning of of what you were just um, mentioning of you sort of had to make an earning for yourself because you couldn't afford it. Um, and you couldn't really own sort of those big name brand labels, you know, like Nike and, and stuff like that. But I mean, how did that sort of, when, when you have your mother sort of like put that sort of like those Nike logos on your socks and your t-shirts, like, I, I, I wonder like how much of that was sort of the, um, did you, did you always, when that was happening, like for you to pretend like you wanted to, I guess, blend in with the others of of having those like brand labels and stuff like that on your on your clothing. Did you always feel like you always wanted to fit in with those people? Or was it that sort of just like a natural thing where you had to understand that like, oh, so this is the way I should be and this is the way I should dress because other people are doing it. And so should I was was that sort of just like something that came along the way or was that something just like for your mother to basically be caring enough and and to to give you that opportunity to be able to fit in with those people? Yeah, I think it started out, I think, innately, you know, we're all humans. We want to, you know, fit in and be accepted um, and be invaluable to others. And uh, for me, you know, uh, what it really taught me was the type of person that my mother was and the character that she had. And she instilled that in me where when you, you know, when you really, you know, love someone and care for someone, um, you take care of them and you go out of your way for them. You do whatever you need to, to take care of them. So um, that's for me, you know, the main lesson I took out of it is when she did get sick, you know, I remember those moments. I remember when she took that, you know, that extra shift or worked overtime just so I could have something, uh, you know, a birthday gift or that thing I asked for for Christmas. She would sacrifice in order that I could, you know, feel loved and protected and taken care of and appreciated and and uh, all those things and safe. Um, so the uh, my response when she got sick was to do the same for her, you know. And uh, you know, I'd like to think that you know the hard things that we go in life, you know, instead of letting them break us down and make us broken, hard-hearted people that they actually remind us that, you know, we have something inside of us to, you know, to fight for. And uh, so, you know, I went to war for my mother and I'm so glad that I did because, you know, out of my feeling of loss, so many beautiful things have happened. And even through that, you know, I learned how to, you know, you know, be a man and, uh, 
like I said, I have character and how to treat others, um, how to use my any gift that I've been given to help someone else, how to love my wife, to put her before myself, how to be a good big brother, how to be a good son, all these things, a good friend. So that all started from the little act of kindness that my mother bestowed upon me. You know, so it started out as a human thing, like you said, you know, just wanting to fit in and be accepted. And it turned into a lifelong lesson that's really been instilled in me that I've used to have, a, you know, create a lot of good around myself and in the world. Absolutely. Well, I guess like talking about like being instilled in uh, different uh, areas in life, but like, I also want to really touch on this interesting part of like, in, I guess, at certain points in your career, I think early on, it was, um, you sort of had this, like, I don't know if it was like an epiphany, um, or like this sort of this opportunity where you, you sort of gave yourself that, that chance where like, I would want to give myself a chance to try out Christian music. Um, and you were sort of that worship leader at um, that mega church that we were talking about in, in Savannah. Um, and then sort of this, this whole thing, like, I remember just hearing a lot about the story of like, sort of you were, I, I guess you were going through a separation. Um, and it was sort of the turbulent times of your career. And, um, then you sort of moved out to Hendersonville. Um, and, um, you were at an elderly couple's, um, mother-in-law suite, and that's where you sort of um, started writing songs nearly every single day for like four months straight. Um, and you sort of instilled yourself, not only that experience, but you also sort of got to know the people that worked in sort of that organization and stuff like that. Um, but like how much of that experience, along with the other ones that we were talking about earlier, but how much of that experience specifically sort of was that career shaping moment where you sort of like sort of realized for the first time that, maybe this is actually what I want to do as a career um, rather than just a part-time thing. Yes. I mean, it's again, you know, not to preach, but I will share my faith. You know, I just feel like sometimes God just moves mountains and he creates ways for you. And he, he had a, you know, a destiny he wanted me to get to. And I knew I, he knew I couldn't get there on my own. So um, I actually never thought I would move to Nashville. I actually tried everything in my power to not move to Nashville. Uh, but my ex uh, woke me up one morning and she basically said, Jay, you need to go. Otherwise, you never will. And you'll have this feeling of regret, resentment. So I'm thankful for her for that because, you know, I took that chance on myself. I I made that drive 10 and a half hours by myself uh, with everything that I owned in a suitcase and one guitar. And uh, the only way that I was allowed to get on my feet in Nashville, Nashville was because of this couple. Um, it was a... A friend of mine, he knew a, a couple, he was a retired pastor, and it was his wife. And like you said, they lived out outside of Nashville and Hendersonville, just 20, 25 minutes away from downtown. And um, They had this in-law suite. His mother had actually just passed away. They were, his, uh, they were her caregiver. She had just passed away, and they, without even meeting me, um, just by hearing about me from my friend, they open up their doors to their home to me and they said, you can stay here for as long as you need, Jay. And uh, obviously, you know, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a beggar uh, and I don't want anything handed to me in life. That's how I was raised, obviously. Um, so I went to work immediately and I would write it, you know, I'd scrounge and do whatever I could to make ends meet and I would write them a check for rent. I put it in their kitchen at the top of every month. 
I'd come home and uh, that check would be ripped up and back on my kitchen counter. They would not let me pay a dime. Uh, come home, I uh, I was working at a church as well as I started a band. I was riding every day full time, you know, really just like trying to figure out my way in Nashville as fast as possible. And uh, I'd come home every Sunday after church and my entire kitchen would be full of groceries. They'd even, you know, not only did they give me a place to stay, um, but they fed me and they took care of me and created a, a safe place for me. And uh, that was, you know, that really gave me hope, you know, that, you know, that was the right move for me to move to Nashville. You know, I did everything in my power during those few months to make friends. And uh, I, you know, just kept CMT on every day, which is cool because now we've had, you know, my wife and I have had music videos on CMT 10 years later. And, you know, I really just, I, you know, I dug in and tried to find my way. And, um, I, you know, because of that, you know, I was able to write every day, make friends with writers and got my first publishing deal, you know, and then I could kind of start providing for myself. But it would not have happened without that couple. I'm forever grateful to them. And um, I've just seen, you know, God put people like that in my life ever since, you know, and that's given me the confidence to keep moving forward, you know, and uh, I'm so glad that I have, you know, I just, uh, I just shared a story on social media where uh, at one point I wanted to throw in the towel. I'm sure we all have several of those moments in our lives and our careers and our relationships. And there was one moment in Nashville where um, I, like I said, I, created this band we uh i thought we had beat the odds and we got offered a deal and uh um you know about nine months into that you know uh the deal folded the band broke up uh like i said i was going through a divorce i was a pretty heartbroken guy and uh i thought to myself i made this decision okay like that's my answer you know i thought it was a, a sign but to kind of retreat and uh i heard incorrectly because i I played one, it was going to be my last show in Nashville. We played it at this venue called Third and Lindsley. And uh, we played to a bar crowd. There was 12 people sitting at the bar with their backs faced towards us. Didn't listen to us at all. Poured my heart out. I thought, that's it. That's my answer. I'm going to pack up. I'm going to go back to Iowa and, you know, give up on this little dream. And uh, Billy Currington happened to be there. Uh, big country artist. He's had so many hits. And uh, he approached me. He didn't have to. And he just said, yeah, he said, I don't know who you are. I just watched your whole set. Said, all I have to say is, you know, don't ever leave last man standing wins. That is literally the reason why I didn't leave Nashville. It kind of in that moment pumped me up. And he shared his story that he had, you know, worked concrete. No one paid attention to him for the first nine years in Nashville, which I can't imagine. And, um, you know, now look at him. So I thought, you know, if he can do it, I can do it. So that's literally the reason why I stayed. So, you know, I think God's just put angels in my life along the way to, you know, coach me and pump me up and encourage me to stick it out and keep moving forward. So, but really in Nashville, it started with that couple. You know, they let me stay in their home for free and uh, took care of me and loved on me. And so, again, another life lesson uh, where I've taken that and I've tried to bestow that on others as well because they did too. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I was going to talk about that Billy Currington moment um, just a second ago because that was so interesting because you were, um, that's that's so right. You sort of had booked this one last show at Third and Lindsley, and then there in the crowd was Billy Currington. Um, I guess now, like, looking back on it, it's sort of now, like, hearing your response to 
that um, question I just asked previously, it seems like now it's sort of like come full circle for you to realize like it's so surreal to have had that sort of belief from the beginning of Billy Currington to say that, you know, you can do this, you know, you, if, if you can survive like the heartbreaks of a divorce and the, I guess the, the tough times of also like working in different places where you may not have enjoyed most of it. Um, but you still persevered. You still showed up even when you didn't have to. Um, and you sort of still made this living for yourself. And here you are, you know, making yourself an, not only an artist, but you're also now supported by Kylie Morgan, who's also um, been such a huge, huge success in music as well. Um, and now you're you're touring and you're making music and you're pumping out all these albums and these singles that you're releasing. Um, but one thing I feel is important that I want to talk about is obviously um, during your, I guess, your your blind audition on, on The Voice, you shared very openly um, about um, your mother and Alzheimer's. Um, and sort of how that has impacted you uh, during your career. And um, I felt there's such an important thing to talk about because I know it's meaningful to you, but I don't know how much people usually talk about in interviews because people may think it's, it's sensitive. It's, it's something that we can't talk about in the news because it's, you know, people are not going to gravitate towards it. Um, but I wanted to ask you, I mean, being an advocate for the Alzheimer's Association and being able to openly share about that experience, um, what do you what what have you been thinking about lately when it comes to that? Yeah, so really, you know, first of all, thank you for you know opening up the door to that conversation. Uh, it is something that's very difficult for a lot of people to talk about. For me, I, you know, it, it started as you know, it felt like a burden, you know to be the person kind of at the front lines of being uh, a voice for this, uh, for this disease, the fight against this disease, bringing light to something. Um, you know, it's, it's really, really tricky when uh, you go from having someone take care of you, your parent or your grandparent to suddenly they're so sick uh, that you're having to be their caregiver. It's a very difficult, uh, not good feeling. Um, and it's, it's so sad and so heartbreaking and so confusing. A lot of people keep it to themselves. Uh, uh, a lot of, you know, the people around them are not even aware of what these people and their families are going through, especially the caregivers. So it uh, went from a, you know, a burden to recently I've, I've taken pride in it, that I get to be that person, to be a voice for others, not just to, you know, to write and share music and songs about it, but to actually, you know, do interviews like this, which are so important. So thank you again for asking that question and opening the door for it. For me, my mother was diagnosed when she was 51 with what's called early onset Alzheimer's. Um, it took her life in two years and nine months, which is very, very rare. So she passed away at age 54. Um, it was a very, you know, unique situation for someone to be diagnosed and to pass so quickly, especially at such a young age, that's why they call it early onset. Um, I immediately, when I found out, you know, had to educate myself very quickly as to what this was. I was uneducated completely at the time. Like I mentioned previously, I found out this is this Alzheimer's is the sixth leading cause of death. 
in the United States of America. I don't think a lot of people are aware of that. Um, and then number two, it's it's kind of it's a myth that it's associated with the elderly. I now you know have heard and associated with people and have you know very intense conversations with people and families where their level was diagnosed in their early thirties. I've even heard cases of late twenties. Dementia and Alzheimer's is not associated with just elderly. It's um, across all uh, all genders. It's across all age ranges. It is devastating. Um, and I've also learned about you know. The sad truth that, you know, there's some powerful people in the world that, you know, capitalize on it and make money from this disease, like a lot of other things. And they're trying to hide that there's treatments available and that there's options on how you can stall dementia or even reverse it now in some cases. So, I, you know, I've become that guy where I, you know, I have a, you know, a five piece rock and roll band, pretty much sing country rock and roll. We're all covered in tattoos. It's a really fun two hour long high energy show. But at the end of my show, you know, I made this promise to my mother on her deathbed, to be completely honest, that I would always sing this song and share the story. So we do Blank Stairs, the song I wrote for her. I share the story. And then at the end of our show, when we're completely done, I go to the merch booth or side stage and I will always be the last person to leave the venue. Um, I will stand in line and I have complete strangers, grown men, lay their head on my shoulders and cry and tell me their story. And that's when I realized that's my main purpose and passion in life is to create this safe place for people to, you know, share what they're going through, you know, and to realize that they're not alone and there's a community out there of people that are going through the same thing. So, like I said, we've raised a bunch of money to help fund research. Now it's become a big part of my heart to shine light and shine attention um, on the caregivers. Now even, you know, past uh, caregivers for people that have Alzheimer's, just caregivers in general. We just did a, an event in Washington, D.C. with Tom Hanks for military caregivers and raised a bunch of money for them. And I heard some incredible, beautiful stories and made some great friends. So these are things that are uh, hard to talk about, but they're things that are important to talk about. Because for me, at the end of the day, I, I, if, if I'm doing music just to, you know, put myself in the spotlight or to try to make myself famous or put a dollar in my pocket. That's pretty dang empty, you know? So, you know, now, you know, I've realized if I'm going to, if I'm going to do this for a living, you know, I want it to somehow help someone else, you know, one song, you know, can find its way to one person that needs it in the right time. So that's what I'm in the business of doing. And uh, again, thank you for opening the door for us to have that conversation because it's very, very important. No, absolutely. It's my honor to be able to to share that with other people. And, um, you know, you're not the first one to be able to share that story because, yeah, like you're absolutely right. I think there are many people out there that are suffering and have their own story, but they're sort of scared to be able to share that story because they don't know how people would react to it. Um, and social media can be very, um, I don't know what the right word to use is, but like the social media can be very, I guess not only traumatic, but it's sort of this whole thing where you have to be very careful with what you post nowadays because people overreact to like even the littlest things now. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, in regards to Alzheimer's, um, I did have the opportunity to be able to talk with um, uh, Ashley Campbell. Uh, for those who do not know Ashley Campbell, um, she is the, the proud daughter of late iconic entertainer Glenn Campbell who also passed with Alzheimer's. Um, and I talked to her about that experience to be able to uh, to be that support for her father as well. 
uh, while he goes through that battle. Um, and the toughest point of, of Alzheimer's, and for people who are not aware of it, is that I guess the toughest point of Alzheimer's is not only you know people losing their loved ones, but it's sort of that that moment when your own loved one does not know who you are. Um, that even gets even more heartbreaking because nobody should ever have to go through that moment where you know they they don't recognize who you are anymore. Um, all it is 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 basically them thinking you're just another stranger, um, which is not true at all. Um, but I, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to explore that story, um, because I feel that's important to you and I feel that's important to other people. Um, but you've also had the chance because I remember the national Alzheimer's association, uh, contacted you to perform at the celebrity gala. Um, and you're performing a song and, um, Garth Brooks was there. Um, and, um, something that stuck with me was Garth sort of just told you, um, you know, I guess telling your mom basically that Garth was praying for her and Garth was praying for yourself and, and your family. Um, how much of that meant a lot? I, I guess how much meaning did that have for you to have someone like Garth Brooks, who's sold record amount of albums and has had an illustrious career from the beginning? Um, how much of that has meant a lot to you and your family? Yeah, uh, it, it just goes back to, you know, every little thing you say and do matters. Uh, and you never know how it's going to impact someone. Uh, that was a, a moment, you know, small to him, uh, huge to me. Uh, I tell that story to everyone all the time, you know, and uh, it just, you know, proves that there's, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're Jay Allen or Garth Brooks, uh, you can be good to people and you can impact people for the better. So that was an unexpected moment for me, you know, um, in, in our full circle, um, I've actually met uh, his daughter, Ali Colleen, and we made friends. We're actually getting together this week. Uh, we're going to be tracking and releasing a, a Christmas duet together. So, uh, you know, just never know how the Lord's going to work. That was a, a moment where it was the first time that I was invited to perform at a gala. It was in San Jose, California. I show up, you know. I'm just a normal dude, basically in a t-shirt and ripped up jeans and cowboy boots and standing in the back of this room. And then I realized like the San Francisco 49ers are there. Uh, Kim Paisley, Brad Paisley's wife, the famous actress, gets on stage, uh, introduces me, invites me on stage with my band. And I get up there and I look down in the front row and Garth Brooks is sitting there. And I was just like, where am I? You know, but I just did what I was called there to do, you know, tell the story and sing the song. So I did that. And, um, very, very uh, influential moment in my life when I poured my heart out for the first time, not only in front of people, but in front of people of that stature. Um, I saw something happen in front of me that changed my entire perspective on how I now live my life. Where after I, you know, told my, you know, heartbreaking story, shared the song I wrote for my mother, uh, kind of left everything on the stage. Afterwards, everyone just stood up and we all just cried and held each other. And uh, in that moment, it didn't matter, like I said, if, if you're Jay Allen, if you were Garth Brooks, uh, it didn't matter how much money you had, how famous you were, uh, how much success you had. In that moment, we all had a common ground, and it was that we were going through something really hard, you know, losing someone to this disease or had lost someone. And uh, 
That's what I realized, you know, like it, if, God, if God appoints you to do something, you're just supposed to do it. Uh, it's so easy to doubt yourself. Like I said, I, I didn't want to move to Nashville. I'm glad I did. I didn't know how I was going to get on my feet in Nashville. He made a way. Um, at, at a moment, I, I thought this is it. I need to quit. I need to go back home. He put one person in my life to change my mind. So remind me just that you need to keep your eyes open and realize that if you're called to do something, you are worthy and you're supposed to do it and you can do it. You know, so I'm very grateful for, you know, Garth saying that. I actually got to do a couple other things with him in the past. And like I said, now I've met his daughter, Allie, and now we're going to get to release music together. And I don't think I've shared that with anyone. You're the first one. So, um, yeah, full circle moment. And God is good. I'm very, very grateful for this journey. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you heard it here first. We've got exclusive scoop with uh, JL and talking about his Christmas duet that's happening. Um well, we cannot tell you the release date because I'm not sure when it's releasing, but he is being able to work on it with um um with Ali and it's gonna be amazing and it's gonna be um here in the holidays soon, hopefully. And um I mean, we've talked all about the um the experience with Alzheimer's and the um I guess the way you've come up in the industry as well. Um but if there was sort of the brief sort of explanation of your experience on the voice, what would it be? If you could, if you could sum it up in about a minute, what would, what would you say it was? Well, I'll make this quick. You know, I, I never thought that I would be the guy that's, you know, on the voice um, to be completely you know, honest. I've shared the story many times now. Uh, the voice, they called me four years in a row. I pol politely declined every time until last year they called me and I thought, what better way to shine, you know, more light on this disease, put more eyes, eyes and ears on this cause that I've been fighting against what feels like by myself for so long than to go on NBC, the voice. So I pleaded with the producers, if I'm going to do this, you know, let me sing this song and share this story. And um, I got to experience that when John Legend turned around and asked me to share my story. I picked up my acoustic guitar and I played blank stairs in front of millions of people. And uh, they told that story and uh, they, they shine light on that in a way that I could have never expressed myself. It was so beautiful. Uh, so life changing for myself and so many others. And uh, blank stairs went number two on the country iTunes charts like overnight. And it, it was nothing but a positive experience. And they said that from the beginning, uh, we're unlike any other TV show where we want to, the people that we bring on the show, we want to raise up and we want to encourage and we want them to be going to be successful. And that was proven true. That's exactly what they did for me. So I'm very, very grateful for the opportunity. Well, absolutely. Well, it's the end of our time together, but um, uh, thank you so much for, for being able to spend some time with me. And, and I'm so glad we were able to explore everything that we were able to in this um, short conversation together. But um to the listeners who made it this far into the episode, thanks so much for sticking around. I hope you enjoy my conversation with American country singer, songwriter, NBC, the voice season 22 contestant, Jay Allen. If you want to connect with Jay, you can find him on our social media platforms for more info, visit jayallenofficial.com. Uh, you can help support my show. Please feel free to share with family, friends, or social media. You can connect with me all on all podcast, social media platforms as well. And you can find my episodes and my show on all podcast streaming platforms as well. I've been your host, Shikmi Kelsang. Thanks for tuning into the show.